Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Welcome to episode number four of the Familypreneur podcast. Today, we're going to welcome Lisa Bett LaCroix. Lisa is a speaker, actor, dancer, and host of the Superpower You podcast. She speaks on the future of education, has been featured in over a 100 film and television roles, and though she began dancing late in life, she holds a world title in Pro-Am American Rhythm Ballroom Dance. Lisa's parents were both entrepreneurs, she married an entrepreneurial husband, and her experiences with education have influenced the approach on homeschooling her children. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining us today on the show. How are you? I'm great, Meg. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. We're so happy to have you. I want to start by just asking you a little bit more about what you, uh, what you do. Well, right now, my primary focus is on also doing a podcast. And the focus with my podcast is primarily on helping people identify what the skills and the mindsets and the tactics they need to really be awesome in the world. Because I have this sense that what the world really needs right now is for all of us to be our best, most generous, biggest, grandest selves, and to really shine in all directions, whether that's in our lives, in our relationships, or in the work that we're doing. So My focus is really on bringing the amazing people I know and the people I meet around topics of interest to me as a person to identify those mindsets that they may be using in their given domain that could be applied across domains. That's really awesome. Yeah, I'm really loving it. It's super. Now, you know, that's my primary focus right now. I can tell you that I've had a variety of different endeavors. My entrepreneurial world has looked different over the the course of years. I've probably done five or six other things. I also work as a speaking coach. So I have a background as a film and television actor. I was a a film and TV actor for all of my 20s. And I did a lot of theater training. I went to the Circle in the Square Theater School. And I'm in the entrepreneurial world of the Silicon Valley. And through working with a lot of young people here who are entrepreneurs in the startup world, I realized that people don't always have the ability to communicate their message as effectively as they might. So I developed a speaking skills course called Rock Your Talk, using acting skills to change the world. And that I'm working on building into an online course. Right now, it's not available. Generally, I work with a very small number of people one-on-one to help them use the skills we learn as actors and that we train as actors so that people can use those skills to really communicate their message. What was your motivation for starting, gosh, even just starting the journey to entrepreneurship? What was your first experience? Well, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. So my parents had a small business. It was a brick and mortar business and it was, uh, you know, expertise based. My father was a pretty well-known commercial photographer 
And my parents worked together. My mom, when I was born, was an operating room nurse because at that time in the 60s, there weren't a lot of options for most women. Mostly you had the choice to choose between being a nurse, being a teacher, or you know, being a homemaker. And my mom really wanted to work, so she became an operating room nurse. But when I was born, she felt like she wanted to stay home. But when I, when I was five and I went to school, she decided she wanted to get back into the workforce. My father really needed support as his business was growing. So for all of my childhood from five on, my parents ran a very successful commercial photography business. My mom did all the business. She, she ran everything. My dad was basically free to do his art and to not think about money, not think about propping, not think about casting. My mom did everything else. And they had a business that I was always welcoming. So I saw small business in operation. I saw families working together. And that just was kind of the water I grew up in. That's always what I knew. So in fact, I've actually never had a regular job. I mean, for a short period of time, I was a waitress, but that's not even almost a regular job. So the idea of having a job where you show up at nine in the morning, go until five at night and then get, I just, it's really hard for me to even conceive of that. It's not, you know, it's not in my lexicon. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, that's so interesting. How did that impact you with school? Like, did you, did you go a traditional route? No, my school route was actually very influential in terms of the way that I live my life right now and how I think about how I think about education and how I think about work and, and design. I always was my, my school journey, I, I like to say I was passionate about learning from early on and I was super excited about getting to go to school from when I was very young, but I did not have a very fulfilling experience in school. I always went thinking like, oh man, now I'm gonna learn things. And then I'd get there and I'd find that the school system as it was set up was not very engaging. It was very focused on regurgitation and everyone being in the same place. And there was no ability to customize learning based on people's either level, interest, or learning style. I always felt that the actual engagement of learning was missing from school. So yes, I went through school. I did well in school, but I found school to be not as engaging as I really felt learning should be. So I did go to college for a couple of years, and then I was not actually happy with my college experience. And I left college after the second year, and at that point, I thought I was taking a year off, and I ended up not going back to college and became, you know, I was, I was at the time, I, I put myself through college with my parents' help as a model and as a photographer's rep. I repped my father, and I, and I worked in the summers and through the year as a, as a model. And, but I always was interested in acting. So when I left school, I got to really focus on my acting work. And, and that actually is an interesting connection, I believe. So the years that I spent acting were definitely influential in my understanding of what's involved in business. So as an actor, you are somewhat dependent on an agent and or a manager to get you work, to get you auditions. But the thing I realized from early on, I think largely because I was around my parents' business, which was really focused on commercial advertising, marketing, you know, photography based, but that I realized that you need to sell a brand of yourself. You need to make sure you're known. So unlike most other actors that I know at the time, I put together marketing materials for myself. And I remember one summer, you know, this is not very um, politically okay now. It's not very PC anymore. But at the time, the acting jobs they were very segregated based on race. So if there was going to be a, a Kellogg's cornflakes commercial with a family, it would usually be a white family. And if it wasn't a white family, it might be a black family. But if it was a black family, it would be a black mom, a black dad, a black kid. And 
only races represented were, first of all, always together at that time, and pretty much only, almost always white, and then maybe the there might have been the, the black family and then the Asian family, and that was pretty much it. But because I'm actually mixed race, I identify as mixed race, I don't really look like any actual race that fits in. Now, that is a very good thing right now. At the time, it was kind of a liability. So I had to really market myself. And so I remember one year when I was early on in my early, early 20s, and I put together a marketing thing that said, Lisa Lacroix makes a world of difference. And I had myself dressed up in all the different ethnic characters that I was often um, seen to be. And um, like I say, now that's not really too politically correct. And in fact, now it's not really so necessary because mixed race is sort of the new Caucasian. (laughs) By the time it wasn't. So anyway, one summer I put my marketing materials together and I went and I drove around my bike. I lived in Toronto at the time, which was sort of a place where a lot of American films were shot. And I dropped off my little marketing piece to all the casting directors, all of the photographers, all of the filmmakers, all of anybody who was on the list. And, you know, that was something that was not often done by actors. And I feel that that was sort of an early intro and early experience of what's needed. And in fact, that, that marketing piece did get me my first film job. So, so I don't know. I, I feel like I've gone a little bit off track. No, no. It's, it's always interesting to hear. It's funny how the cookie crumbles sometimes, you know, what steps get you to where you ultimately are. I think a lot of us entrepreneurs don't end up doing what we thought we were going to do when we were in high school or in college or even in our 30s. You know, like even five years ago, you couldn't have told me that I would be where I am now. I totally agree. And I think that's because the entrepreneurial mindset is one that is fairly general. And one of the things I consider my focus is what's your superpower? And I think that knowing our strengths is really super important. And what the thing I consider to be one of my greatest strengths is my ability to synthesize all my past experiences. And I think that is very typical for people who are attracted to an entrepreneurial lifestyle or working in a business for themselves is that they, they are attracted. They're not intimidated. Even if they're maybe sometimes nervous, they like the idea that they're going to need to do all of the different components of what makes a business run. And okay, sure. Then we start to outsource some of it. But if you have an entrepreneurial mindset, you generally are really willing to look across a broad category of activities needed. And most of the entrepreneurs that I know and the people who live what I'd call more, more of an entrepreneurial lifestyle, even if it's not necessarily a small business, have a lot of different influences coming together, married into what they become. And like you say, I don't think we always know. I heard something on a podcast recently. I forget which one it was. Oh, it was referencing the book. Uh, the art of work. And I wish I could reference the, the exact person who said this, but the idea was that when they interviewed people who were successful, successful in their careers or in their, in their, in their businesses, just like you said, they mostly would not have expected themselves to be where they were now. Because when you have an entrepreneurial mindset, you're willing to pivot and change and grow and learn and go in a different direction and do something that works. Try this and that doesn't work and then try that. So I think that entrepreneurship really attracts those of us who are, like you said, maybe ending up in places different from where we expected to be. Yeah, that reminds me too. I was recently at a presentation where they asked the audience, like, do you know what entrepreneur means? Like the origins of the word. And I had no clue. Do you know? No, entre together. Sounds French. Entre. It is French. Let me guess. Let me see if I can. It sounds, what's right here is being together. The EUR is someone who is it. And then the prend, to make, to do? 
And it means, I think it's adventurer. Really? Person who takes adventures and takes risks. Now, again, that's what I was told, but I didn't fact check them. No, you know what? I like it. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There, I don't know French that well, so there may be some linguistic <laughs> etymological connection to that. Right. But as an idea, completely makes sense to me. Did you have experiences that failed? Failed in the traditional sense of things that like just died off. The one that I would point to most in 2000, I was working with my husband. We had a small business and we had to be manufacturing what my husband's job was. So it kind of recreated my parents' life. He is a technology, now he's in biotech. He also changes a lot. And at the time, we had a company together when our son was born that made electronics that were testing hard disks for the hard disk we sold into the hard disk industry. And I did the purchasing and like managing the bill of materials and that kind of stuff. And it was really not where my passion was. And, and it actually wasn't where his was either. So I read at the time uh, a book called Coach You, which was by Thomas Leonard, who I see as one of the fathers of the coaching movement. And he talked about how he had this new field called coaching, and it was awesome. And his book was fantastic. He lived in a trailer. He did phone coaching at the time. There was no Skype then. And I read the book, and I said, oh, my God, Joe, listen to this. I read it in Passengers, and we decided we were going to do the same thing. So we sold everything. We got rid of our business. We let go of our employees. We gave them severance. We had a 16-month-old kid, and we just got rid of everything. We put some stuff in storage, but mostly we sold it. We got rid of our house. We bought an RV. And our plan was we were going to drive around the States for a year in our RV. And I, and I went through the Coach U training program. I got my laptop. I did my coach training. I started to work on getting coaching clients. I, started, and I had some coaching clients and I did my phone coaching with them. Well, there's two lines to this conversation. One is we ended up get, getting to San Francisco where my husband was going to work with his business partner. They were doing a startup. It was the year 2000, which was the height, you know, this is the end right before the dot bomb, right at the end of the dot, you know, at the end of the dot com. And he got involved in his startup and we ended up living in our RV on the streets of San Francisco for 13 months. And so I did my coaching business from our RV, which was parked in front of his little startup garage for those 13 months. And it was awesome. The course was fantastic. It was really interesting and exciting to be part of the early coaching movement in San Francisco. And I built up my practice little by little. And I loved working with people. I primarily worked with them on aligning their passions and who they were with their, with their business and their work world, which at the time was really not that common. And so it was exciting to be part of that. Now, this leads up to your initial question. The bottom line of it is I ended up leaving that because I could not make it sustainable. And what I learned from that was that ultimately I did not want to be trading time for money, which I think can work well with people who really build themselves up to the point where they have a high net worth, small client base. But I loved helping people in the way that I was, and I couldn't get to the place where I was willing to charge the kind of money that I needed to make having the number of clients that I could sustain while also having a child. And so I, I was a coach for about three years. And then I decided that I really didn't want to do it anymore because of that sustainability issue. That was really important learning for me in that, it, like I say, it made me realize that there, it, there was a fault for me, at least in that model. So I, I left that model and I went into business with some coaches that I knew in San Francisco 
doing a training sales model. So more of a training company and going into organizations doing training. And I worked with them for uh, a couple of years. And then I decided that it was time for me to leave. And they continued. And in fact, that company still exists. It's called Paragon Strategies. And Jerry Irvin, one of our business partners at the time, is still running it. Yeah, so it still exists beyond me. But like you said, it's an adventure. And a lot of times, my past, when I look back on it, was about pivoting and p- learning, trying something and finding what I needed to learn from it and then pivoting to the next thing and then le- finding what I needed to learn from it and pivoting to the next thing. And I think that's important too, that people don't get discouraged, you know, when something doesn't work out the way they envisioned it to, that it's normal. Every single thing I have done. Now, I might not have felt this at the moment. So at the moment when I was saying, you know, guys, I need to leave the company. You're going to need to carry on without me because I can't sustain the the lifestyle and the time and do the other things that I want. It's just not working for me. I didn't feel this, but now I realize in retrospect, every single thing I've done in my life has contributed to my knowledge and my skill set to where I sit right now. And it's all integrated. And I think for most people, we take a really good, hard look back at where we've been. There will be values through lines, either interests or skill-based or values-based through lines. So I can look back at every single thing I've done in my life and I see that inside of the the sort of essential foundational value or focus in each of those things has generally been around connections, community building, communication, learning, those kind of things, every single thing. Hmm. And I didn't necessarily see that at the time, but in retrospect, I can see, oh, this is the essence of who I am. And that is the piece that continues on regardless of what the format of the business is. That's a really great point, like finding those common threads. So you mentioned your husband a little bit. So my husband is an entrepreneur also. He's pretty focused on startups and he has done a variety of different things right now. He is in biotech. His passion is curing age-related diseases. And so right now he's working in a biotech company that's, you know, funded company and they're working on changing the way research is done. Now, your husband, did he have an entrepreneurial um, background before you? Oh, absolutely. Entrepreneur in all ways, starting from very young. Well, so my husband has an interesting story that I actually love telling. He didn't go to college until he was 24. He pretty much flunked out of high school or basically spent most of his time just barely passing and having fun and chasing girls, playing music and that kind of thing. So at the time when he wasn't in school, in between those years, he was figuring out building electronics and selling them just ad hoc when when he, and he had a house and he'd rent out rooms to friends. And so he kind of paid his way for his uh, living space by managing a house. And then when he finally did decide to go to school, he did one year at Portland State and then he went to Harvard and then Caltech and MIT starting when he was 24. So he also came from a family that did not have a lot of money. So when he went to Harvard, he was in the community there that's, you know, they, I think a lot of the people even at that time in Harvard are fairly wealthy, but he was in the community of people who he lived in a co-op where a lot of the sort of not so rich kids lived. And he decided that he would make his money by putting together a syllabus from one of the course, one of the popular courses. And he basically photocopied a big thick thing of the syllabus because the professor didn't want, didn't make one and then stood outside the class and then sold them to all the, all the kids. Um, so he's definitely entrepreneurial in spirit. He's had many, many startups. He advises startups. He's a mentor. His focus is on helping women scientists who are in academia turn their businesses into startups. It's something he really loves to mentor. And so, yes, you know, he, he's, he's a full-on entrepreneur in spirit, for sure. 
And then what about your kids? How does that impact them? Like you talked earlier about how like your parents' entrepreneurship impact you. How do you think you and your husband are impacting your kids? That's really interesting. I mean, I think it's awesome. You told me earlier that one of your children is into having a business at age nine. Mm -hmm. I don't really see that in my kids yet. My kids are forming and they're finding their way, but both my kids are very, have very broad interests in many different things. So I think that is, again, the entrepreneurial mindset. It's what we both illustrate. My guess is that my kids will probably both have lives and design lives for themselves that allow for a lot of autonomy and freedom because that's the way we've lived our lives. So I don't see, you know, I think I mentioned to you, my kids were not raised in school. And so one of the cautions people have when you tell them that your kids aren't, aren't going to school, they will say, well, how are they going to go get a job? How are they going to be able to have a regular life? How are they going to be know to show up at nine in the morning? And how are they going to be able to handle that? And my response to that is, I expect they probably won't. You know, I, like I said, I've never done it. My husband has never done it. And the entrepreneurial mindset, regardless of whether it's showing up as wanting to make money or have a business right now, is likely to show up in the way they design their lives. That's a great answer. I love that you just own it. They won't. They probably won't know. And that's fine. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. I cannot imagine either of my kids going and working in a big corporation. Right. And, and, and it's not just my kids. I'm going to say that I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it's my belief that there's so much more space for autonomy and individuality in how we create our lives now than there ever has been. Oh, I agree because of technology, because there's the possibility of what I call a disintermediation. Everything can be disintermediated now. We don't, we can always go straight to the consumer. And so, for example, what I call what my kids do, I don't call it homeschooling, I call it independent learning. What we benefit from are educators who are willing to go direct to consumer. So in other words, I either organize classes or I pay for classes, still cheaper than private school, with educators who are not going through a system, but are going straight to their consumer. You know, podcasting, we're able to ourselves without any other person or producer saying, okay, Meg, I'm going to give you your very own show. We're able to say, no, I'm going to make a show for myself and go straight to my audience. There's a lot of disintermediation and a lot of empowerment and agency available to us now in ways that have not been so in the past in all areas. Yeah. And I think that's amazing too. I mean, I think that's why we're seeing so many more people taking this entrepreneurial route, whether it's a, you know, quitting your nine to five and jumping in with both feet or just starting something small on the side, either way. Absolutely. They're easy. They're easy to do. They're possible. A lot of it is technology. I mean, we just, one of the things I was telling my kids when I was a teenager, I didn't know anybody who didn't either go to my school, you know, live in my neighborhood or was a child of someone, one of my parents' friends. Right. We just did not have the access to other people, to building communities. You could not make friends with someone who lived across this, across, you wouldn't. No, you're right. It was just not a, a thing. So when I ask myself the question of what does that change in the way we think about things, in our mindset, in our way of thinking about the world and what's possible, it's huge. The fact that you can become friends in deep ways with people who live in completely other parts of the world, the fact that you can make connections with people based on a shared interest. It used to be just 
who you're co-located with, who lived on your street, not even who went to your school, who was in your class. I've never even thought about it that way, but it's, I'm over here like just shaking my head. Like you're absolutely right. I've never even considered it, but that's crazy. It changes the way we think about everything that we have access to infinite number of people and access to people that can share, that share interests. And I'm not even exactly sure what all the implications are. Right. (laughs) Not yet. No. One thing you mentioned to me earlier, the tools, techniques, and resources that have really helped you out the most. So I would say that the best thing, the best technique, the best skill set that I have across the board is my interest in, my love of, and my ability to make connections with other people. Probably, I'm guessing your listeners are a lot of people who have kids and have businesses, right? That would make sense. So one of the biggest challenges to that, in my opinion, is time. How do we manage our time? How do we balance work that we need to do and that we want to do and that we want to have presence in the world with the needs of our family and with the kind of connection that we probably want to have as parents. Right. And it's super difficult. And it's been said before, it's becoming almost a cliche, but that's a good thing because that means the awareness is rising about it, that we need a tribe. We need connections. We need support. And one of the things I notice in our current life is that people often feel isolated. And so I have the belief that it is, if you feel isolated, it is on you. It is a possibility for you. And it is and it is, it is, the tools are in place for you to go out and create a community for yourself. No, that's something that I've done a lot of in my life. Whatever my focus was as a, as a parent. So for example, I was uh, pretty involved in the attachment parenting community when my kids were very little. And so I worked with another friend to build up an attachment parenting community in my area. And that developed into a rich network of people who have a lot of understanding and empathy for each other. And a lot of times I'd say, I love hanging out with this group of people. It's a great self-selection process. Why? Not because I care how long they nurse their kids. Not because I care whether they're co-sleeping or not. Because it happens to attract people who are willing to think outside the box, who are willing to go not necessarily along with the mainstream, but willing to consider what's right for them and design their life based on their own needs. And that's the kind of people I happen to jibe with. I really jibe with people who are willing to say, I'm not going to go this route just because it's the done thing. Here's the right way for me. And so that was a really powerful community. When my son, when we took my son out of school and we decided to do independent learning at the time, I was still calling it homeschooling because there wasn't a lot of other words for it. Uh, Another friend and I created a local group for people who wanted to build in-person connections with other families who were independently educating their kids for academic and intellectual reasons. So there were and there are homeschoolers who are homeschooling for religious reasons. In our case, we were really trying to find that engagement with learning. And especially because we were wanting to meet the needs of kids who were not fitting into the school system because in a lot of cases they were either asynchronous, their high abilities and their low abilities were very divergent, or they were able to learn very quickly and they're they're the ones often that they're like, oh, they're fine, that kid's bright, they'll be fine. And they're often the ones that fall through the cracks. So we created a community that we thought would be small. And before we know it, we have 400 families in our group who are all independently educating their kids in the Bay Area. And that has also been a huge support for me in terms of connecting with the kind of people who I I best drive with. Now, my most recent mastermind group is just forming and it's forming out of, I think, half the people in my current mastermind um, are actually parents in that group. 
because we share a lot of the same challenges and the same interests. Yeah. So masterminds, I think masterminds are really an effective way of building support and building a tribe of people. I mean, there's lots on, on masterminds. It probably is a whole show how you build a mastermind. But uh, I guess the, the, key, the key thing I'd say about building community and making connections with people is that it's possible for everyone to do. And the key thing is to look at what you need and what you what kind of support you want. And if you can scratch your own itch and you know meet your own need and then bring other people into that, you probably will be both contributing greatly to people in ways that they will appreciate. And at the same time, you'll synergistically be building the support network that you need for yourself. So once you had your mastermind group together, how do you guys organize it? How does it run? In the early days, for the first two years, I think we talked on the phone every week on Mondays and talked about, we each had 10 minutes and um, we each had a chance to say, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm experiencing. Here's what I'd like help with. Here's what I'd like insight on. And we basically had a sort of group coaching call with everyone having 10 minutes. How big should a mastermind group be? I generally think an ideal mastermind is probably between five and eight people. That is really great information. Thank you so much. Now, can you tell our listeners where they can find you, maybe where they can hear your podcast as well? Sure. Yeah. Uh, The podcast is the Superpower You podcast. And it's long form interviews with people who sometimes regular people, sometimes known people to uncover the, the mindsets and the skill sets that apply to their domain that can be applied elsewhere. And I can also be uh, found at lisabl.com. So that's sort of my, my landing place. I'm on Twitter at, at lisabl.com also. And we'll put all those in the show notes so people can find them easily. It's been really Really great to talk to you and to hear a lot about, you know, where you came from and how your family impacted you and how your husband impacts you. And the the journey of your children, too, has been really interesting with the independent learning. Well, before we go, actually, I did have one last thing. Can you give me, like, what's, what's the one piece of advice you would give parents listening to this podcast who are in that stage of either launching or considering launching their new business, what would your number one piece of advice be? Well, I think it goes back to what I already mentioned about building your tribe. I would say just do not go it alone, that as people, as human beings, we are built to be in connection with other people. So find a way that you can get support, find a way that you can give support and build out your tribe. That's great. Thank you so much, Lisa. It was so wonderful to talk to you. It was so fun. Thank you so much, Meg. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Thank you. You can find this episode's show notes at megbrunson.com slash four. Last week, in episode number three, we met Michaela Quinn and discussed freedom, flexibility, and financial stability. Michaela explained why she left her teaching career and what it means to be a virtual assistant including who's a good candidate for VA work and the process to get your business started pretty much immediately. Make sure you go back and give that episode a listen. In the next episode, we'll meet Kat Stancic. Kat is a business coach known for her tough love and amazingly well-branded website. We'll dive into topics related to revenues versus profits, goal setting, taking focused actions, and more. This interview is sure to motivate you to make some revenue generating moves in your business. 
Subscribe today so that you don't miss the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. It only takes a moment, and let's be honest, it helps other parent entrepreneurs know how amazing this podcast really is. Oh,